I'm gonna trade my earthly home for a better one, bright and fair. Christ left to prepare a mansion for his children in the air. I'll join him in that land where tears, no sorrow can be found. And I'll receive my mansion. Mansion Good afternoon. It is Tuesday, February 20th, 2018. And I'm back from Tennessee. Glad to be back with you guys. My wife and I had a wonderful time away at the Great Smoky Mountain Marriage Retreat put on by the Jacksonville Church of Christ and hosted by the Sevierville Church of Christ down there in Tennessee. And uh, some great lessons uh, that we heard, some great things that we uh, are able to apply to our marriage and things that I hope at some point to share with others uh, as well. Some great lessons we learned there from Brother B.J. Clark and Brother Dan Winkler. Uh, and some man, there was some funny times there too. That was that was really good. Um, so today uh, and this week, the reading, as you can see up here, is Mark chapter three uh, through Mark chapter seven. That is going to be uh, the focus of our reading this week. And today, in chapter three, we get to something that uh, I've toying with a couple of topics to to talk about in our sermon next Sunday. Uh, and I, I want to thank uh, Kip uh, Ping, who is one of our elders here at the church, for stepping in and preaching this Sunday uh, in the morning. And our other elder, Dave Musgrave, who stepped in and, and uh, preached on Sunday night as Sarah and I were uh, returning home. Uh, but one of the topics that I'm toying with uh, um, talking about on, on Sunday is hardened, uh, hardened heart. Um, and it's something that Jesus... Uh, addresses here at the beginning of Mark chapter 3. Um, and so we're going to look at that briefly, and we're also going to look at uh, another example that Jesus gives us here um, about um, the difficulty of being a Christian, the difficulty of the truth that Jesus provides. So let's get into it, and let's look at Mark chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Again, Jesus entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with a withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful, he's asking the question to the Pharisees there, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out immediately, held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. So, uh, the question here that Jesus poses to the Pharisees, is it lawful to do good or to do harm? To save life or to kill? This may seem like a strange question, um, since nobody here was standing up saying that this man should be killed. Um, but I think there's an important principle here. Jesus is teaching that if you neglect helping someone uh, who is suffering, uh, you neglect helping um, a situation... Uh, in the negative direction that it's going. Uh, if you neglect doing those things, that equates to harming those who are suffering or adding to the negativity or adding to the direction, uh, the negative direction that 
um, a conversation or a situation is heading. Um, so Jesus gives the principle here that you're, you're either helping or you are harming. And you're ignoring the le- less fortunate. Um, doesn't help. That doesn't help them and it de- definitely doesn't help you. Now, if you look back at, at Jewish history, there was a time in which uh, the Romans, uh, or rather the Greeks, um, came in and they attacked the Jews. Um, and uh, they attacked uh, a group of these Jews, and it was the Sabbath. And because it was the Sabbath, these Jews didn't fight back. They refused to fight back. And so a thousand Jewish men, women, and children were killed because of their uh, refusal to fight back. Now, after the fact, the Jews responded to this and decided to fight and even kill on the Sabbath in order to protect themselves and the law. And this is found in, in a book, a, a historical book that's not uh, canonical, which means it's not in the Bible, but it is a book of history called the Maccabees. And it's in First Maccabees where this, this uh, situation was detailed. But at the, And so at the time of Jesus, and remember the Maccabees happened uh, in, in between, basically during that 400 year uh, time of silence between, um, between Malachi and, and Matthew here. And so that, that's the Maccabees, it's the history that's going on during that time. So at the time that Jesus lived, killing on the Sabbath was acceptable if the need arose because they had changed their tradition, right? And we talked, we've talked in the past about uh, the traditions of men. So Jesus poses, poses the question here, what if the need arises uh, to help someone or to heal them? Of course, they don't answer that question. Whenever they ask Jesus a question, they expect him to answer it, but when the uh, alternate is the case, they don't find the need to answer back. Or maybe it's because they know the answer, but they don't want to look like fools. Um... But in reality, this shouldn't be a difficult question, should it? Now, sometimes, as Jesus points out, a man's heart can grow so hard that we no longer feel compassion. Uh, we we get so um, we get so focused or uh, passionate about a stance, about a, a position, about um, our political party, about. Um, you know, uh, certain rights that we have as humans or as Christians that that we fail to have compassion. And when, we, and when it gets to that point where our hearts are so hard, um, we ignore the value of our fellow person who is equally created in God's image. And we ignore it so much that uh, we can, we can uh, focus on other issues. Um, you know, I don't want to think about that. I don't want to talk about that because I think there's other things that we should be talking about. Um, and one of the things I think uh, falls right into this is something that's going on in, in, in our culture today, in our country today, and that's the conversation about gun violence, uh, especially in, in schools. And the conversations that I see a lot of uh, Christians and non-Christians having about this situation um, causes me to pause and reflect a little bit on my heart. And whether or not I'm being compassionate uh, and I'm looking at the value uh, of, of my fellow man and, and the, um, the issue that it's at, that's at hand, or am I wanting to ignore the issue, much like the Pharisees did here, uh, and talk about some other issue? Um, you know, I've, I've heard the statement a lot saying, you know, it's, we don't have a gun problem, we have a sin problem. 
That's very, very true. But we can't ignore the gun problem um, because of the sin problem. We need to, as Christians, address the sin problem, obviously. Uh, and, of course, the only answer to that is God. And the only answer to that is Christ. Uh, and getting joining with Christ uh, in his death, burial, and resurrection and being free from sin. And, of course, training in righteousness and working towards righteousness and righteous things rather than um, rather than living a life of sin. Um, but that doesn't change the fact that there are other issues that are going on in the world. And so I think it's important that Christians not ignore the issues um, in order to focus on other things that they want to focus on. Because I think sometimes, as Jesus alludes to here, perhaps we're doing mo more harm than we are good. So I think that's a great application that, that arises there, something that's very applicable for what's going on in our country today. Um, and something uh, I haven't decided yet, but something hopefully we'll, we'll talk more about uh, on, on Sunday. Now let's continue here in Mark chapter 3, verse 7. Jesus withdrew to his, uh, with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed, from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea, and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him, and he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. So again, we have a very similar interaction, a very similar situation that we saw in Matthew with Jesus and his disciples and the crowds, and of course those demons that are, are coming out, uh, that he's casting out. Um, and they are claiming this is the Son of God, but just as he did, uh, as we saw in Matthew's account, Jesus strictly orders them not to tell people about that. We talked about why. Um, why doesn't Jesus want this to happen? Well, because you don't want people... Um, vouching for you that are demons, right? You don't want demons going around saying, hey, that guy over there, he's the, he's the Messiah. He's the one that you've been waiting for. That wouldn't really play very well, right? That's kind of like, um, you know, having having a, a serial killer um, go around and, and say, hey, this, this guy right here, he's a good guy. He's a really good guy. It just, you know, that they don't, that, that uh, testimony uh, doesn't bear a whole lot of, of value. Uh, in fact, it would probably do more harm than good. Now, we get into the twelve apostles here. Verse 13, And he went up on the mountain, and he called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him and might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, uh, and John, the brother of James. So we have James and John, both uh, sons of Zebedee. And uh, these two he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder. And we'll look at that a little bit more as we get into uh, these gospel accounts. Verse 18, Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Now it's interesting, I know the other gospel accounts also notate that Judas was the one who betrays him, but we cannot lose sight, uh, even though that little note is added in there, we cannot lose sight to what is said in verse 13. He called to him those whom he 
desired. Even though Judas betrayed him, Jesus still desired for him to be his apostle. And Judas was still given the same responsibilities and same power that the other disciples were given. They were sent out to preach. They had authority to cast out demons and to heal the sick. Judas had that as well. And see, as God's children, as God's chosen people, as, his, as Christians, we are desired. God says he doesn't desire for anyone to perish, but to, for all to come to repentance, for all to be reconciled. We are desired, but that doesn't mean that we can't fall away. That doesn't mean that we can't turn our back on Christ at some point, as Judas did. Now, uh, some have asked before, you know, why, why, did, why Simon Peter? Why, why did he give him the name Peter, which uh, Petros, which is rock? Um, well, I think, uh, obviously, there are two Simons here. There's Simon uh, the Zealot and Simon Peter. And so to differentiate, as was often the custom during that time and is also a custom today, a nickname was given of sorts. And so uh, Simon Peter became uh, what he was known by, and that's what he would be known by uh, for um, much of uh, the New Testament. There are times when he's referred back to as Simon, but ultimately... You know, you have uh, you have uh, these nicknames, and again, you have James the son of Alphaeus, but you also have John and James, who were sons of Zebedee. These are common names during the day, and so of course, there's going to be nicknames. And the sons of thunder was one of those nicknames that were given to these very boisterous uh, men of James and John. Verse 20: Jesus then went home, and the crowd gathered again, so that they could not even eat. When his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying. He is out of his mind. How many of you remember that line or those verses being in the gospel account? We'll get back to that. That last part there is important. They were saying he's out of his mind. Verse 22. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebul, and the prince of demons, and by the prince of demons he casts out the demons. And he called them to him. Jesus called these scribes to him and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying he has an unclean spirit. So, there's a lot here. Um, so to, to kind of uh, quickly round all this up. The first part here that Jesus uh, says about Satan be casting out Satan. Um, the whole purpose of this is he's saying that this doesn't make sense uh, and it cannot be because if Satan is there casting out his employees, if you will, how can that continue? And so you take that employee thought process and if a boss walks into the business one day and starts throwing out the employees and firing all the employees, how can the business continue to run? 
That's kind of what Jesus is saying. If I'm Satan, if I'm casting out these demons who are my, you know, my workers to do to do evil, um, that that doesn't make sense. That can't happen because it cannot stand. The business cannot continue, and the house itself cannot continue to stand. But instead, would be the end. It would be the downfall of Satan. Uh, but Jesus says it's not. That's not how Satan is going to go down. Instead, he compares Satan to the strong man uh, who is um, plundering um, the goods. Um, and it says that, you know, in order for um, the, the uh, thief, if you will, um, to take those things, the, the strong man needs to be bound up. And, and so um, by doing that, uh, of course, this can be, this can be taken either way, that, that, uh, that God is the strong man and Satan is the thief that comes in and binds up God or binds up the Christian in order to, to plunder um, the, the things, or it can be taken the other way, and that uh, Jesus has come to bind up Satan by casting out the demons to bind him up um, and make him weak so that uh, he can ultimately um, overthrow him, if you will. Now the last part there, verses 28 through 30, I think a lot of people have asked a lot of questions about the unforgivable, the unforgivable sin of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. So Jesus here is speaking specifically to these scribes and the Pharisees who had very blatantly said that Jesus had an unclean spirit, that he was unclean, um, and that the spirit that was inside of him was unclean or evil. Um, and by saying that, they are saying that the Holy Spirit is evil because that was the spirit that was inside him. And so that blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, he says, is unforgivable. Um, and so is there ways today that we can blaspheme the Holy Spirit and be unforgiven? I don't think there's anything that would indicate no, a no answer to that, that that, that can't happen today. I think it definitely can. But in the sense of 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 uh, you know the the Son of God and the Holy Spirit at work within Him, um, you know He's basically telling the, these men here that without repentance uh, and, and coming to a truth and seeking forgiveness um, for what they've done, that, that that's it. There's no way they're coming back from that, um, and and so that's a warning more or less. Um, to the Pharisees and the scribes of that day and, and the, the false accusations they were making against him, um, but also as a warning for us today to be very careful about how we approach the Holy Spirit and how we um, say what is and isn't a work of the Holy Spirit. And of course, the way that we can know what is and isn't is by reading the Word of God and listening to God speaking to us through His Word um, and, and how He d details uh, the work of the Holy Spirit and uh, what it does in our lives. Now the last section here of chapter 3 goes back a little bit and touches on the, the, his uh, family who said that Jesus was out of his mind. So uh, once again, Jesus' mother and his brothers came and standing outside they sent to him and called him. They're trying to get him to come home again. They're trying to get him and seize him as, as it was said previously. And a crowd was sitting around him and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking at, about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my, my brother and sister and mother. So these, his physical family that were outside calling for him, trying to seize him, they had said he's out of his mind. 
They don't believe in him. They don't trust that what he's doing is part of God's plan. He says, those aren't my mother and my brothers. They may be physically his mother and brothers, but what Jesus is saying is those who do the will of God, that is my mother, my brother, my sister. That is my family. Whoever does the will of God, that is my family. And his real family, his mothers and brothers that were outside, were not doing the will of God. In fact, they were trying to um, circumvent the will of God by pulling Jesus away, by getting him out of there, and by saying he was out of his mind. They were going against the will of God. And so very literally, um, Jesus addresses that. But then again, it gives us some hope and understanding that our fellow Christians, the fellow um, people that we uh, are a part of in Christ, uh, that are working to do the will of God, we're family. Um, and I don't have the song queued up to play, We are family. But we are. Uh, we are family uh, as, as the household of God, as Christians. And uh, it is a wonderful thing to be a part of that family. Um, and I want to encourage you that if you're not a part of that family, if you've never experienced uh, what it means to be a part of the family of God, of the household of God, we want to talk to you. We want to show you what the Bible says and teach you the things that, that God tells us uh, about how to become a part of that family, how to join that family. And of course, it all comes together in Christ. I want to encourage you, if you haven't already, to please share this video with your family and friends. Uh, share this with them. Invite them to join in the study with you that you're doing on a daily basis, reading through the New Testament together in 2018 as we're doing here at the Loveland Heights Church of Christ. I hope these studies are beneficial to you. If you'd like to catch up on previous episodes, uh, you can always do so on our Facebook page. Uh, if you'd also like to catch up on previous sermons, you can do so uh, on our uh, website as well. Uh, I know last week, since I was out of town, we didn't have the live stream of the sermon. Uh, but uh, as I mentioned before, Kip Ping, uh, one of our elders here, gave a great lesson on hate uh, found at the end of Matthew. Um, and you can find that sermon uh, on our website as well at loveland.church. Uh, and you can also subscribe to the podcast there as well. But if you have any questions that we can answer uh, for you, if you have any need that we can assist with or any prayer requests that you'd like uh, prayed for, you can leave those in the comment section down below. Or you can contact us privately if you'd like. Info at loveland.church is the email address to get in touch with us there. And we look forward to hearing from you. Uh, and I hope you have a great, blessed day. Take care. Better one bright and fair, Christ left to prepare a mansion for his children in the air. I'll join him in that land where tears no sorrow can be found, and I'll receive my mansion, mansion robe, robe and crown. The weather there is always fair, there is sunshine day and night, no cold and no rain will fall there, for the sun shines ever.